Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end, you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones. Greetings, rare ones, and welcome back to Series 9, Education and Adoption, Blockchain in Africa, with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. Yes, folks, we are back with Series 9. You should know that there are only two episodes left. So today we have arrived at episode 195, and I will be sharing a conversation that I had with Precious Omusue. Please forgive me, Precious, if I pronounce that incorrectly. Um, forgive me, please, please, please. Yes, so Precious and I had a conversation titled Redesigning the Future regarding blockchain, and Precious is based in Nigeria. So a little bit about Precious. He is actually a certified blockchain solutions architect. He will tell you a little bit more about that in today's conversation. And he works for an American-based firm called Aurea Software. And he's also, well, he is based in Nigeria, but the company is, is uh, headquartered in the U.S. He is also um, involved with Web3 Bridge and other projects. So Precious is going to talk to us about his work, what he does, how he got into blockchain, um, as well as how he sees blockchain being a tool for development in his country, as well as the work that he's doing with Web3 Bridge and a little bit more. So I hope you enjoy listening in to today's conversation. And as always, I will see you at the end. Thank you so much for always listening in. Bye for now. Hey, Precious, welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you for joining us to continue this conversation. I'm really excited to speak with you about redesigning the future through blockchain education. Thank you. I'm glad to be here on the show. Fantastic. So before we begin, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into blockchain technology. Okay. Um, I am a certified blockchain solutions architect. My name is Precious and I stumbled into the industry when in 2016, 17, there was the buzz about airdrops. And so um, I, that was the first time I ever had the opportunity to make something different from my regular local currency. And as exciting as it was then, um, I felt, oh, 
why not share this opportunity with a lot of other people? And in the process of expanding my scope of knowledge, I just Bitcoin and Ethereum and, <laughs> and looking at charts and all this. Yeah, so I came across this training program and decided to delve a little bit more into it. Uh, the long and short of it is that I got certified. And currently, the role of, a, of my certification requires that I not necessarily do very, very technical stuff, but um, focus on educating people around my environment with uh, the information about blockchain, what it entails, and looking at how to customize solutions for our local problems. So, so that's just it in summary. Right. So for those of us who don't know, share with us what exactly is a blockchain solutions architect and what kind of uh, training do you have to go through to get that certification? Okay. Yeah. So now to be a blockchain solutions architect, it's more or less a, um, the basics, getting to know the basics of blockchain to the extent that you as an officer can work with engineers, can work with technical leaders. You can be the bridge between the technical guys on a project and the non-technical guys. And you can as well help reviewing systems and use cases. Because if we're going to be very honest with ourselves, one of the biggest um, farces that we've had to deal with is the fact that everybody thinks everything should go on the blockchain. Meanwhile, as a tech person, I know that there are some solutions that are better of sitting on traditional um, databases. So for the blockchain, if I see that oh, this particular use case is a transactional use case where we, we just want to solve a problem of two people or two parties in, in this context now, transacting um, without the friction of a, a third party interaction, um, then we can um, provide the solution using blockchain. So those are just basically around some of the things that we do, consultancy basically and education. Okay, and how, how does one go about attaining that certification? Okay, so there is an exam. Uh, um, on, I, I wrote mine on the organization was uh, Blockchain Training Alliance, BTA. Yes, so that was the body that provided the certification. Right. I think I've, I, I, quite a few organizations offer it. I've, I've seen it around. But So you are essentially the bridge between, I guess, the tech side and the business side? Do you kind of bring them together? Do you educate the different parties as, as how it can work together to solve the problem? Very correct, yes. Okay, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so that's how you got into this work. So tell us a little bit about, if you can, some of the projects you're working on right now. Okay, so majorly I... I'm working on educate, educative projects, um, not hands-on core tech. I have my nine to five. I work for a tech company, but it's not nothing related to the blockchain space. So, but then in this space, basically what I do, what I focus majorly on is on education. I have a couple of um, partnerships going on, most notably with Web3 Bridge, which I'm sure you're, you're aware of. 
Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> on one, one of <laughs> exactly yes, and on one of our most recent projects. I don't know if you are aware, but since the pandemic started, uh, unfortunately, in the month of uh, March 2020 in Nigeria, the tertiary institutions had to shut down. They they went on strike. And so what it means is that since March till this is December, um, the bulk of our tertiary education students in the universities, the polytechnics are at home doing almost nothing. That's almost one year of their lives wasted. So what um, I thought about was instead of having these guys just sit down at home doing nothing, I reached out to the um, head of department of one of the um, the computer science departments in one of the federal government institutions here in Nigeria, and then proposed the idea of having a training, a Web3 training for them, okay? And now, what we found out was shocking in the course of that project. We found out that these are soon-to-be computer science graduates who know next to nothing about the existence of Web3, okay? next to nothing about the blockchain, apart from hearing about Bitcoin, okay? So what we decided to do was create a pilot program for them, and we called that Web2 Bridge, okay? What that did at the time was to provide the requisite training that they needed that will qualify them to take a, an extensive program on Web3. Okay, so now interestingly, in the course of this program, we had interest from not just students. Um, I know that two or three of the um, participants in the program are, we have one or two professors and one other associate professor. Yeah, so the program was not limited to a, a particular age grade, was not limited to a particular social status. It was an open for all program and it got the kind of attention we need. And I, I think they are in the penultimate week now and we are already working towards having a cohort for them in at the uh, first quarter of 2021 where they get introduced fully to Web3 Bridge. Okay, so that's my latest project. Okay, so going, going back to what you said, why do you think these universities, these academic institutions are not offering courses on Web3 to CS students. You did say they're computer science students, right? Yes. Um, yes. Is that because, is it lack of resources? Is it uh, they don't have the teachers or the lecturers or whatnot to deliver? Or what do you think is missing there? I, I absolutely love this question, and uh, let let me let me take give give you a, a little background. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'll point us to a story that happened recently um, in in Nigeria. There's this uh, about two weeks ago. About 300 students were abducted from a school in Nigeria, and one one of the the boys later got released from his abductors. And he said, I was watching his interview yesterday, and he said, it's quite unfortunate that the bandits who abducted them from their schools were boys about their age, okay? These are boys between the ages of 14 to 17. Hmm. But the only advantage those boys had was the fact that they had weapons, they had guns and all that, okay? Now, 
it tells you that in this side of the world, one of the biggest problems we have is poverty. And poverty is directly proportional to the um, quality of education that we are exposed to in this part of the world. Now, for us to put it in proper perspective, okay, according to a South African report, which I saw yesterday, um, they said that um, Africa's population is the fastest growing in the world, and that uh, in the year 2050, Nigeria will be 400 million people. Okay, we are currently sitting in about roughly 200 million people. Mm. And the major percentage of that population are going to be working age individuals between the ages of 15 to about 64. The retirement age in Nigeria is 65. Now, if you bring, break this further down to the funding of education in Nigeria, the most recently, about two, three weeks ago, the president of, this, of the country presented a proposal for the budget for 2021 to the House of Assembly. And we had an all-time all low for the last 10 years. What he presented was about um, less than 6% of the total budget dedicated to education. Now, to put this in proper perspective, the international benchmark for education is between 15 to 20%. Nigeria's highest ever in the last 10 years is 10.7%. So it means even at our highest ever budgetary allocation for education, we still didn't meet the international benchmark. Now, the consequence of this is the fact that educational institutions will be poorly funded. Okay, so it means the biggest challenge we are having is funding. And of course, for you to get the best resources, resources include human resources at this, at, at, in this context as well. For you to get the best resources to deliver lectures um, for Web3, blockchain, whatever it is, looking at it at the, in a broader perspective, it costs money. But if the, the institutions do not even have the basic funding to deal with basic things like halls of residence, then it's going to be difficult to getting resources who will handle very, very sensitive uh, um, technological topics like what we are looking at here. Mm, wow, that is, that is insight. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a so, lot of sense. Yeah, so, so this for me is the biggest um, challenge that we have. And whether we like it or not, the truth is that this spirals into different sectors of the economy. If you have the larger percentage of your population within the age range of 15 to 64, it means that if we look at the future, if education is not given the kind of attention that it requires, it means that whatever we are budgeting for security, and um, all the rest of them, we're just wasting our time. We're just trying to paper over the cracks because if the social amenities are like, like employment and all that are not provided for people, then it's, the, the future is looking bleak. However, this I think is where an institution, I'm looking at blockchain as an institution now, comes to the rescue. Now, why do I, why do I say this? Why do I have this position? It's because to learn about blockchain, you don't necessarily have to sit in the four walls of a classroom to do that. Okay. Now, 
I just told you that um, for the past, um, since March this year, it, it, the, all the institutions, the tertiary institutions in Nigeria have been shut down. But we have successfully trained, we've had a, a very, very extensive training. And I'll define what extensive means in this case now. We have had trainings for technical people. Technical implies people who have um, programming experience. Okay, people who are not scared when they see codes. Okay, people who have experience with things like JavaScript and the rest of them. We've also had training for people who don't who don't like code, people who don't who don't know what JavaScript is, who don't know what HTML is. And the importance of this, of having this kind of end-to-end -end training is this: that you have a balanced set of individuals coming into the ecosystem. You are not leaving out the non-technical people and focusing so much on the technical people. Because if we look at it this way, the technical guys will code. Somebody has to market that code. That person may not necessarily be a tech person, so in quotes now. But the person needs to have some basic knowledge of what the code is doing, of what the, the tech he or she is marketing is doing. And this is where our training comes into play. So we are picking up non-technical people from the streets, giving them basic blockchain training, and giving them the opportunity to interact with technical people, and at the end of the day, building a full ecosystem that takes care of the technical and the non-technical side. That's what we're doing currently. Yes, and I, I really agree with that approach as well, because we know that one of the biggest challenges that the tech space has, uh, I know this is going to be odd to say, but they're too techy. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> That's right? very true. That's very true. And, yeah. and I, 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 think, I, th I think this is where we need more people who have the ability to communicate complex technical information in user-friendly language. Absolutely. Look at it this way. In, yeah. in Africa, the, if you, 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 we are talking about blockchain and crypto. Can I hand over a, my trust wallet, for example, open a trust wallet, for, a, a, for example, for a market woman and trust her enough to be able to transact successfully using that tool? The answer is it may be difficult because to a large extent, when you, you find people teaching um, things related to blockchain and cryptocurrency, there is still that element of techiness mm. inside it. So it becomes difficult for the regular person on the street to, to understand what you are talking about. And they just end up with the, the mindset that, oh, all this mumbo jumbo is for people who, have, who are tech savvy people. But that should not be the case. If we are talking about a decentralized um, system, then it should be a system that is able to accommodate everybody, regardless of your level of um, formal education or social strata. Absolutely. And having different actors involved is good for the system, because like you said, nothing operates in isolation. The tech is only one part of it. You need different actors to play different roles, to do different things, to make it all work. So, and, and 
Definitely uh, your point on the ability to communicate information in a very simple way. I think that is also a big challenge that tech has because there's so many great products, but they're not connecting with the end user or they, they're, they're not designed well. Um, you know, all those types of things that we, that we know and we understand. But I think sometimes um, those who are very techy and we love them, you know, the coders, they're <laughs> We love them. We can't live without them. They don't always yeah. have the, I guess, the the vision to see that, you know, these things that you are creating when you're behind your computer, and we know that's what they love to do, but how do you bring that to everyday people? That's what you have to do. Yeah. And that's, not, yeah. I guess that's not their job. Their role is to, to build the tech, and that's, that's great. But then you need the other people to come in, the communicators, the marketers, everybody else that has a role to play, like you said, to take it to the everyday man and woman, which is so important. That's very correct. Yeah, yeah. But I think this is a good segue into, into the topic, which is redesigning the future. I mean, you've touched on so many things already, um, infrastructure problems um, in, in where you are in Nigeria, and uh, it's, I mean, we could, we could draw so many conclusions. You mentioned poverty. So, and then there's also corruption, which we know is not just a problem in Nigeria, but in, in, in every country, particularly developing countries. So how yes. do you think um, this technology will shape the future differently? And we're not saying, we're not trying to paint, we're not being Pollyannish. We're not trying to try and paint a picture of perfection or anything like that. But what do you think the future is going to look like um, if all of this education is successful and we get more people on board with Web3 and blockchain generally? Excellent question, Joan. Let me tell you something. In Nigeria currently, about 40% of our population, that's approximately about 80 to 83 million people, live on less than a dollar per day. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, most of the jobs i'm thinking i'm, I'm trying to think futuristic here now right. most of the jobs in this space the salaries are denominated in the us dollar okay so it means blockchain is a major tool in solving one of the biggest socio-economic problems we are facing in nigeria if I'm going to give you an example using the, the training program that my team just got conducted. Okay. We had a training for the, the non-technical guys. And currently, about there were about 15 of them in that training program. About four of them have gotten their, their first internship jobs, paid internship jobs. And they earn between 75 to 100 USD every month. Now, that is not the biggest of salaries, okay? However... If you bring that, the, the minimum wage in Nigeria is less than uh, it's about $50 or thereabout. That's the minimum wage from the federal government of Nigeria. And then you have these guys who were previously within the same age, within the same bracket of people earning, living on less than a dollar per day, now earning as much as 75 to 100 USD per month. It means you have taken them off the streets. It means you've put food on their table. Mm. It means you've improved the quality of their living from where they were by about 70 times. Now, ultimately, that translates to a better society. 
if we have the opportunity to train more people. Of course, the technology, blockchain technology is increasing. It is, it is, it is a it is in development. I want to, to use it the word that way. Of course, we've had as a tech person, we've had our problem with traditional databases. Okay. The problems with um, having to deal with a single source of failure and all that. And now with the opportunity that the blockchain brings, okay, we know that the demand for more blockchain savvy or knowledgeable people will increase in the future. So the, 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 the goal for us now, what we are working towards, the big picture for us is to get in early, get people trained from now so that when it goes into full flow, when adoption goes into full flow, we are not left out. We have more people from these um, disadvantaged, in quotes now, disadvantaged position, in quotes now, okay? Right. Properly positioned to earn in foreign currency, okay? Now, when you convert that to our local currency, it means they have more purchasing power. And it solves a lot of problems for us. If you are offering me less than $50 to take up arms, and I can sit down legitimately from the comfort of my home, walk, and earn two or three times more than what you are offering me for acts of terrorism and illegitimacy, then, of course, the truth is, I will go for the safer option. This is what we are trying to do. Shape the future. The government uh, have their, their own role to play. But then as individuals, what we're trying to do is shape the future by teaching more people the basics. Let them just even have the basic knowledge of this. And then expose them to opportunities where they can increase their knowledge and as well as earn currently to meet up some of their basic needs. So for me, the future, this is a very, very broad topic. Right. But for me, the biggest gain in all of this, the biggest target is on in all of this is dealing with the problem of unemployment in our region. And if you deal with the problem of unemployment in this region, you have dealt with a major problem that affects more than half the working population of our country. If every single one of us, the larger percentage of us are doing well and are working, putting their positive energy to their energy to positive use, then we will have less and less of the socioeconomic problems that we have to deal with. Okay. And this will also spiral into different areas of our economy. This is the driving force. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said so many powerful things. I mean, as I was listening to you, something that came to mind was just rights. You're just giving people their rights, you know, the right to to, to earn a decent wage, the right to be included, included, the right to be educated. I mean, the right to, to have a say in how, in their economy and in how things are run, you know, because this is essentially what's going to happen the more, as more people get educated, 
and they start to learn more about the technology. And like you said, it's never just giving them a job, right? It's all the other things that come along with, with getting that job. So I Very think, true. yeah, the, their rights, you're giving them agency and that's, that's really, really powerful. And I think that, like you said, they get more purchasing power. So they get to participate in the economy. But you know, something else came to my mind as you were speaking. Do okay. Do you think that a new challenge will come, which will be that, okay, uh, you will have these uh, well-trained um, developers, blockchain de developers and so on, say in your country, Nigeria, and then they're going to, to start getting recruited by foreign companies? I mean, do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? And I say this in a context of you know, there are issues in some countries, not just in Africa, but in all over the world where, in India as well, where they have a lot of highly skilled people, right, who can do the work, but they're not employable locally because they are getting paid more by foreign firms, which is actually impacting the local economy. You see where I'm going with this? Yes, very true. So do you think this, that that will be a challenge long term? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you you know why I laugh uh, why? because I fall I fall into this category. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> now I I work I work for um, a company in the U.S. remotely, mm. and yeah, that's because I was largely underpaid where I for on the the day job by the indigenous um, company I was working for. Now, this, is, this still remains a, it will remain a concern. However, I think, uh, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, I, I don't know how to look at it. The whole drama with the COVID-19 this year, 2020, has opened our eyes to a lot of things. And the, it has opened our eyes to the opportunity of remote work. So if you look at it this way, even though I work for a, a company that is not one of our indigenous companies, I reside in Nigeria. I spend in Nigeria. Right. Do you get that? So yeah. The, yeah. the money still comes back into the, into the market here in Nigeria. So I'm looking at, yes, this, there's still this threat of um, having a lot of our skilled personnel moving to more saner climbs, more developed climbs, yes. But then with the opportunity of remote work, I mean, except if you want to, you, you just really want to change environment, you can still be very skilled, work for an, uh, a, a foreign company, but then still spend in the, the local market, still purchase from the local market, and still give back to the local economy here. Um, it's a, there is a gap, okay, and it's going to take some time to bridge that gap. It's also going to be very, very unfair if I sit down here and say, okay, everyone has to um, do like I am doing currently, um, sit back here and work remotely. Some people are going to be offered the options of migrating completely. That's not entirely a bad option as well. But then I think on the long run, the gap will be bridged if we stay true to the course, eventually things are going to get better here locally. 
and the urge to want to migrate will reduce. It's going to take a whole lot of time. It's going to, it may not even happen in our lifetime, but I, this is something that I believe will eventually happen if we continue on this path, continue honestly. I, I am very, very deliberate with the use of the word honestly mm. on these parts. Yeah, to retain focus and um, you know, I, I have talked about a lot of trainings we are doing. None of these trainings are paid. Every single one of them is 100% free. No strings attached, no hidden charges whatsoever. Okay. And in some cases, because these classes are online, and when you're, you're dealing with people who can't even afford up to a US dollar, sometimes, you know, you have to buy the data. You have to pay for data for them to take these classes. So these are demanding on your pocket as the facilitator yourself sometimes, okay? So um, it, 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 there is the, the, sometimes you want to be discouraged. Sometimes you want to lose focus. Um, but then if we stay true, we stay persistent with the dream, with the drive, with the passion, then I think ultimately we will bridge that gap where we begin to develop local solutions to our problems. Okay, so if in the if if in soon soon um, one of the biggest problems, one of the, the most annoying things I I, I heard recently was um, a, a lot of our institutions here going out to some very very smaller countries to purchase software to solve local problems. Okay, so if on the long run we can get more people trained who are part of the environment here, who know where the shoe pinches here, and they get to solve using the tech, our local problems. There's something about solving a local problem because the challenge I see here, I've had here, is the fact that a lot of the solutions that are being imported don't solve our local problems. They only deal with those local problems at the surface level. But when, it, when you go deep down, it doesn't solve the local problem. So if we can uh, focus on this on the long run, focus on our trainings on the long run and get more um, passionate about this, get more passionate, like-minded people on the course, we will bridge that gap. And then that concern will eventually fade away. Yeah, I really, really, really appreciate how you elaborated on that. And, you know, we can add to that and say, even if these developers do decide to work for these foreign firms abroad or the ones, you know, like, for example, Facebook is building a, a massive um, H, uh, bu uh, building in Nigeria soon, right? I was reading about it recently. Yes. So yes. these developers eventually go off and maybe start their own businesses where they transfer that knowledge back into the local economy or they get involved with local projects. So I think it's it's circular. It's all it's all going around. It's not like, like you said, they're not leaving the country. I think it's better for yes. people to stay in the country and, and work remotely. Thank God for COVID for that, as opposed to <laughs> what we had in the past, which is migration, where people just get up and leave and then that creates a whole other kind of economy. So I think um I think it's personally, I think it's good for everybody. Um, in the long run. And I like how you how you explain that. It's all about staying focused on on the vision and ensuring that you you stay the course. Yes. Yeah, that's really, really important. So what are the next 
sort of phase for you in in this education process that you're in? I know you're kind of in the trenches right now. You're working with Web3 and Web3 is amazing. I mean, um, the work that you guys are doing, I, I check in on the Slack from time to time and I see all the activity in the Slack group. It's, it's really exciting to see. And I know this is, I know you guys are always going to keep evolving, but what is sort of the next stage of, of, of the education that you guys want to do? Do you want to go a bit deeper? Do you want to go further? Where do you see it going? Okay, yes. For us, the the plan and that's that's i believe is the the major focus for next year is to have an offline um class okay an offline um how, how am i going to put it now um course sort of okay um for example i i said that one of the biggest challenges we have is the fact that data is expensive okay mm -hmm. So it means that we are limited to the number of people we can we can um, onboard on the training programs. That's because not everybody can not everybody can afford data, and even when you can afford data, there is electricity comes at the premium. Okay, so we are fighting many devils. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. now, if we have a an offline institution where people can walk in get trained and they have all the resources that they couldn't provide to themselves available, then it means that we will be able to reach more people and we'll be able to spend more time training people conveniently. So the plan is, yes, we are adding more to our knowledge base. Yes, we are getting more documents. For me personally, I think one of the next, my, my next target is to get a recertification okay so um, it means the knowledge is increasing but then we have to make knowledge more easily accessible and that's the the project for next year make this knowledge more easily accessible um, there is the thing about people understanding you more when they can see you face to face mm -hmm. okay they can when they are they are, they are comfortable enough to ask you questions they can touch you they can feel you they so they they find it easier to relate with you those of them who may not be uh, bold enough to ask questions in a general class can walk up to you so the, you are establishing a relationship with them a relationship of trust with them okay so for us this is the next target for next year have a visible offline um building where people can walk in and get educated. Yeah, and you said the word trust, and that's the foundation yes. of, of all of this. It's trust, right? Yes. It's trust. I mean, this is all about the trust protocol. So I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to, and, and I see what you mean. It's very important to have to have the, the, human, the human relationships and people being able to get together. I mean, if education is critical, having the network around education is equally critical to make it all come together. And who knows what may come of that? Because Nigeria is a very true with a lot of people. Yes, yes. No, currently on our, on our team, we have a couple of guys who work or in the fintech space in Nigeria. So um, one of the advantages of having a physical structure as well 
is the fact that there is a place where all of us can come together if we're going to have to lock ourselves up in a room <laughs> and ideate for some time and come up with solutions to some of our local um, problems with our, our ecosystem, then we can do that conveniently. You know, when we are tired of, of, of whatever we're doing for that day, we can simply just retreat, sleep off in the same room. By 1 a.m., everybody wakes up again and all that. There are quite a lot of challenges. Um, recently, I'll share with you quickly a, a particular story. One of my hobbies is um, football, sports. Okay, so I, I have something I do with this local media outfit on, during the weekends. And about three weeks ago, um, there was going to be a, a soccer game. Um, it's a Champions League match with another African, a team from another African country. And the, because of COVID, the game was not going to be televised. So the, the away team, the team from the other African country, reached out to our organization and said, hey, can you guys please help us facilitate a, a live stream of this football match so that our fans in the country can see this game? And we, we had our agreement, we had a deal in place, but all of a sudden, we didn't know that there was going to be a public holiday in Nigeria. And as a result of that, the banks were going to be closed. So uh, it was a Friday. The game was going to be played during the weekend. So we had the issue of if they facilitate payment, we, the banks will not be open to process that payment till the next week because of the public holiday. So we actually proposed to them the solution of making the payment using a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example. You wouldn't believe this guy said they, they don't have an idea what we're talking about. They didn't feel safe to transact <laughs> using that. And that was how we lost the deal. They mm. couldn't streamline the game to their fans. Okay, so mm. so it, it tells you that in the places where we, there's still a whole lot of work to do, really. Okay, Absolutely. yeah. There's still a whole lot of work to do because these are key decision makers in the country. And they are still not safe transacting with what is available, what has been working um, seamlessly within the past decade. Then it means there's still a whole lot of ground to cover. Absolutely. I mean, do you think that's still the case today? Because as we speak, Bitcoin is, is valued at $22,000. Yes, I, I think that's still the case. And let me tell you why. I have a boss. Um, my former um, place of um, work, who I had been preaching about um, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, transacting in cryptocurrencies. I've been preaching about that to him for a while, but he still doesn't feel safe. He only chats me up when he hears that the price of Bitcoin has hit an all-time high. And then when there is a bloodbath, he reaches out to mock me, <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> so, so that's still the kind of mindset that a couple of the key decision makers in places where we need voices, that's the, the kind of mindset that they have. And the truth is, we need them on board if we are serious about gaining traction. Mm, yeah, true. Very true. Wow. 
this is such an interesting topic. We can speak forever. <laughs> I really, really appreciate you giving us some of your time to come on and just discuss uh, the educational efforts and the strides that you're making in Nigeria. What would you like our listeners to know about blockchain? Anything at all? What would you like to share with them? Hmm. Oh, now, do you want to be more specific? Like why, why should they be interested? Why should they care? Why, why should they need to understand, as we're talking about education, why should they need to know about blockchain technology? And I mean, blockchain beyond Bitcoin, blockchain beyond, hmm. um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer finance. I mean, blockchain, the technology and the reason why we're doing all of this that we're doing and how it's going to transform the world. I guess within that context, why okay. should they know? Or what should they know? The, yeah, the fact that blockchain is decentralized and the fact that there is not one say all and be all and do all sorts of truth who gets shut down and the entire system gets shut down is the reason why everybody should delve in every entrepreneur should have basic knowledge of blockchain now that will help you as an entrepreneur develop or spot business opportunities or use cases that could be helpful in making your business more effective. Perfect. And where can they find you if they want to reach out to you to find out how you can help them do that as a solutions architect? <laughs> okay, my, my Twitter handle is at EnormaBiz. Enorma is E-N-U-O-M-A-B-I-Z. So I can be reached on that. And they can check me up on LinkedIn as well. Omusuwe Precious. O-M-U-S-U-W-E, then Precious. Brilliant. And I also will have your details in the show notes. So everyone who's interested can reach out to you. Thank you so much, Precious, for giving us some of your time today, to sharing, for sharing with us rare ones all about what you're doing in Nigeria. And it was a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Joe, and I'm really grateful. All right. Okay, guys. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. This is an original Rare Birds HQ creation. It was produced by Rare Birds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Until next time, rare ones, bye for now.